James chapter 4, if you want to turn in your Bibles there. James chapter 4. You guys enjoying the book of James? So you like getting punched in the face. Okay. Good to know. I don't know. I, I love it. I love what it's doing to my heart. I'm shredding it. Pretty sure the heart's been through the cheese grater. And uh, that's all right. Because whenever my life and my will doesn't line up with what God wants, wreck my heart, Lord. Because I want to be faithful to Him. Last week we looked at, and thanks for hanging last week. I know I went 65 minutes or whatever it was, and two sermons in one, two for the price of one. Where else can you get that? Buy one, get one free. Uh, but um, I, we talked about that the, the, the fact that there are, and what James is pointing out at the end of chapter 3, are there, there are two types of wisdom. And we need to align our lives with the proper type of wisdom. There's a wisdom that seems right, but what James would classify as earthly and sensual and demonic. And as the proverb says, it leads to death. There is a way that seems right to a man, a wisdom that would seem right to a man that leads in death, leads to death. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound too good to me. But there is a, a wisdom that comes down from on high, a wisdom from above, godly wisdom, which leads us to life. And so the, the, the way we align ourselves under the wisdom of God or under the wisdom of this world determines life and death. It is a matter of life and death. And so what we need to do is determine who, or I, I guess you would say the way you can see what wisdom you follow is to look at your life and see, all right, who has the ultimate authority in my life? If I have the ultimate authority, if I decide what's best for me, if I make the choice and I decide I'm going to take this job, I'm going to do this thing, I'm going to eat this food, I'm going to play with this girl because it's what's best for me, that's following the wisdom of this world. But if we submit ourselves to the wisdom that is from a God, we say, okay, Lord, it's no longer about what I want. It's about what you've prescribed. And I want to align my heart and align my life with that authority and with that wisdom. So that's kind of where we left off. Let's read our text for today, starting in James chapter 4, verse 1. It says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? So James doesn't even, sorry, I interrupted my reading. I was actually going to read the whole text, but hold on a second. James doesn't even let you assume that you don't have quarrels and wars among you. Nobody in here is going to get away with, well, I don't fight. That just made you a, a, a liar. I was trying to think of a nicer way to say it, but no, that's, that's about it. So he assumes... And, and knows rightly that wars and fights come in all of us. And so where does he say they come from? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? Verse 2, you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses. Who's glad they came to church this morning? 
Uh, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but He gives more grace? Therefore, He says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up. God, I just pray. our hearts would be humble before you for the next half hour, 45 minutes. We'd be honest with ourselves, Lord. We set aside any pretenses. We set us guys, maybe set aside our macho image for just a moment. Set aside the masks that we wear. Just come boldly before your throne because as we read, your grace more your grace he gives you we give you give us more grace help us to see what we need to see today god that we might bring you more honor and glory and praise in jesus name amen i marked one day on my calendar many years ago for two reasons the first reason is it's because it's the day no, sorry, it's the, the one time that I missed a meal in my whole life. I, I have never missed a meal. I've intentionally, well, let me rephrase, I've intentionally missed meals. I've fasted and skipped meals, and that's been intentional. But there has been one time where I intended to eat that I could not eat. March 28th, 1998. My wedding day. We all react with nerves differently. And I got up that morning and we were had all of, you know, gone through the rehearsal, prepared everything and, and gotten gotten used to, you know, I'm, all right, we're in the idea. The tux is there. We're, you know, she's at the church getting ready. I'm like, I should eat something. I made a bagel. I'm like, I, I think I can handle a bagel. A bagel's a warm-up for me. I mean, that's, you know, that's not breakfast. That's like, all right, now I'm hungry. Now I'm ready to eat. I went to sit down. I was actually living with my parents at the time, and I sat down at the table, and I put strawberry. I'll never forget. I put strawberry cream cheese on it. It looked good. Toasted it. Took a bite. All right, can't do that again. <laughs> Meanwhile... Over at the TJ's, I believe, Bob Evans. Oh, I thought it was TJ's you guys went to. Either way, we all react differently to nerves. My soon-to-be wife is polishing off a barnyard buster. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and not just, not just that. The, yeah, the, yeah, she finished my sister's as well. 
And uh, so we, we all react differently. It's, it's cool, you know? If I could have done it, I probably would have. But what I, I wasn't nervous about getting married to her and what was going to happen to me. That wasn't what I was nervous about. I was nervous about God joining our hearts together and me being responsible for another life. And as the spiritual leader of our household, I knew that God was uniting us and it, soon, it was going to be on my shoulders as the, the man of the household to provide for this woman, to care for this woman, to love this woman for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and health till death do us part. And what made me nervous was I wasn't going to live up to what God wanted me to be. I was going to disappoint her. I was going to disappoint God. It wasn't that I was marrying her and I was worried about what was going to happen to me. And God gave me a grace. And I, I, I love this little story just that the next day, the wedding went fine. Everything went well. We enjoyed it. We, had a, you know, we went to, where was our reception? La Scala, thank you. Um, Italian place, and we ate well. I, I didn't have any trouble. I missed one meal that day, that's all. But uh, we got up the next morning. We we're flying to Phoenix for our uh, honeymoon. And I was thinking about the things that had made me nervous the day before. And um, I was just praying as we were sitting on the plane, waiting on the tarmac to take off. I was just like, Lord, I'm scared about this. I'm scared to, to lead that I would fail. And I, I was looking out the window. I had a window seat. And it was the weirdest thing. I, it wasn't an audible voice or anything like that. But a dragonfly came and sat and hovered right on the other side of my window. And just sat there like it was looking at me. I'm like, there is no water around here. I mean, we're in the Columbus airport, you know. And not only that, the, the engines are humming you know, there, there's a lot of turbulence, air turbulence right there. I was like, Lord, that's unusual. He's like, you know what? I take care of this dragonfly. I'm going to take care of you too. You don't need to worry about it. And at that point, it was just an overwhelming sense of peace, that peace that Dave talked about as, as we, he prayed this morning. Just flooded my heart. And any time, any time I've gotten anxious or worked up over things over the course of the years, I'll go out for a walk, I'll start to pray, dragonfly shows up. It's just a continual reminder to me, hey, remember what I told you? I got you. I got you. It was a really peaceful moment. But one thing we need to recognize, to those of us that are married or hope to be married one day, as you stand at the altar with your spouse and you exchange the vows, you're saying, I do. That means I'm going to live, I'm going to give my heart, I'm going to give my life, I'm going to do everything I can to serve and love this person. You're saying, I do, and that's the words that come out of your mouth. But you need to understand, as we make those vows, you're not only saying, I do, to this person, you're saying, I don't, to the rest of the world. You with me? It's a, it's a decision, it's a, it's, a, it's a consecrated moment that God has given us in marriage that we say, I do to you, and I do not to the rest of the world. For the rest of our lives, till death do us part. That's what the wedding vow entails. Committed to live a devoted life to one person at the cost of forsaking the world. Just keep that in the back of your mind. James chapter 3 ended with this verse, verse 18. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace 
by those who make peace. We want to strive for peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Us living by the wisdom that is from above results in a life of peace. Not just peace for us, but peace for those extended, or it's extended to those around us. But we see in our lives, you and I get up Monday morning or whenever and recognize it isn't always peaceful, is it? There are quarrels. There are fights. There are hard times and challenging things. And these things occur because you and I fall back into the wisdom of this world. To sum up the wisdom of this world, do whatever's best for you. That's the, we, we've been talking about this for months now here at this church, ever since we did Romans chapter 12. The pattern of this world is I'm going to do what's best for me. Do what thou wilt is the whole of the law. It would say in the Satanic Bible. So when our expectations aren't met, if we're living in that wisdom, if I expect a certain thing and that expectation is not met, my ego gets bruised and my response is pushback. It's not going my way, so I'm going to push back and I'm going to make everybody around me miserable. And you're not living in peace. So wars and fights come in. That's what it says back in verse 1. We're going to hash it out now. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do, not they, do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? We, we submit ourselves back to that earthly and, and sensual and demonic wisdom that I want what's right for me, not what does God want for me. And, I, 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 and then wars and fights come from us not getting our way. You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war that you do not have because you do not ask. Oh, pastor, I've never murdered anybody. Jesus would say if you've had anger in your heart, right? Matthew chapter 21. You've heard it, or Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You've heard that it was said to those of you old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment, Jesus says. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother will call, without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. So murder is a matter of the heart, not whether you've acted it out with a weapon. So you've been, ever been angry with somebody? Guilty. We've broken the law. That's the truth of the matter. We lust. We don't have. We submit ourselves to that wisdom. We covet. That means you want other people's stuff. It's called keeping up with the Joneses. Fight and war. And then he says something interesting. Yet, you do not have because you do not ask. Hmm. And then he says you ask and you do not receive. Because you ask amiss, you may spend it on your pleasures. We need to recognize that we serve, love, live for, sit under the banner of a God who is limitless. 
And His resources are limitless. He could just, you know, they, they use gold as asphalt in heaven. Oh yeah, we got so much of that, we'll just pave the road with it. He is unlimited in his resources. It never taps out. It never even depletes. God in his wisdom and his kindness for us, even when we ask for those things that we would use on our own pleasure, use to feed that wisdom of the world, God says, no, that's not what's best for you. I'm a good, I'm a good father. I care about you. Sometimes you have to tell your dads you know this, moms you know this. Sometimes you got to tell your kids no, because that's what's best for them. Man, we, were, we broke Reese's heart this, this weekend. He uh, had a great boys outing that he was invited to. How good was this outing? They told him to bring three changes of clothes for one night. That's how much fun they were looking forward to have. ATVs, you know, mud running, Nerf guns, paintball, swimming. They, they were going in the woods. They were going to camp out. Killer time for boys 10 years, 11 years old. He and Kindu were going to go. Thursday, uh, they, the boys had dance camp this whole week. Thursday at dance camp, Reese was playing a game. And um, Sharks and Minnows, I don't know if you know what that is. kind of a big game of tag, basically. But as a kid was going to touch him, he, the other kid stuck his foot out like this, and it wasn't on purpose, but Reese tripped over his foot and hit his head, and they were pretty sure he had a concussion. And so his head, you know, he, he had a headache for a while, his ears were ringing and stuff, and, and Michelle took him to urgent care Saturday, or Friday, and uh, the doctor was like, well, everything... You know, it looks like everything's okay, but I'm not going to give him the all clear. He needs to talk to, you guys need to go see your pediatrician and that kind of thing. And, and uh, you know, until then, he just needs to rest and no, no biking, no running, no jumping, no blah, blah, all this kind of stuff. So we're like, all right, do we listen to the doctor? We let Reese have a good time. Maybe his brain will become mush. It already kind of is. <laughs> So I, I got the joy of telling him yesterday, hey man, I know this is what you want, but it's not what's best for you, and we need to keep you home. And of course he cried, it broke his heart, you know, and then when you, when you break your kid's heart, there's just no worse pain, I think, for an, a, a parent. But God is a good God, and even when we ask him for his limitless resources, sometimes he's going to say no, because he knows what's best for us. He's not a genie in a lamp. We don't just get to rub the lamp and then ask Him for whatever we want. Three wishes. That would make God subservient to us. That is not the right posture to the Creator of all things. So verse 4. James doesn't pull any punches. Adulterers and adulteresses. Ouch. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Let that fall on your heart, people. 
the inspired Word of God just called every one of us adulterers. Don't set that aside. Don't stick up your macho image. Receive that. We're all guilty of adultery. What are you talking about? I'm not even married. Yeah, you are. If you become a Christian, you are the bride of Christ. And you are married. It is strong language, but it's so critical that we view this through these lenses. Ephesians 5, we talk about all the time when it comes to weddings. I use it in my premarital counseling. I use it in weddings all the time. You guys are familiar with Ephesians chapter 5. It's got the long list, wives, you know, everybody, nobody wants to hear this verse. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, right? And then blah, 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 blah. Husbands, love your wives and give yourself for them as Christ gave himself for the church. And blah, 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 blah. And it's a great instruction on weddings and, and on, on, on the, what marriage is all about. But there's an interesting statement that Paul makes at the end of that instruction in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32. He says this little thing. He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. We, we, we take that text, and rightfully so, it's good that we would take it for marriage and, and implement those things in our marriage, but that's not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about our relationship as the bride of Christ with our husband, Jesus. And so, I just encourage you today, tonight, go back to Ephesians chapter 5 and read it in that light. Read it in that context. And, and, and all the things that it speaks of to the bride, you and I, all of us need to do. Wives, submit to your husbands. Church of Christ, submit to Jesus. Make Him the authority. Committing adultery is breaking your promise. Committing adultery is being a vow breaker. Right? If we were to bring it back down to this context, the context of a husband and a wife, you make the vows to one another that you are going to remain together, you're going to live for one another, you're devoted to serving the other person until death do us part. And when you go out and commit adultery, you are breaking that vow. Tracking? Make sense? You're, you're, you're dishonoring. Your word is no longer good. You've broken what you've said. You're a vow breaker. Just like I said, in a wedding context, you're saying I do to one person, and you're saying I don't to the rest of the world. So is true in our relationship with Jesus when we say yes to Jesus, I want to receive you as my Lord and Savior, when we welcome him into our heart, when we accept the work that he's done on the cross, we become his bride and we say I do to him, which means we say I don't to the world. That's the language he's using there. To make yourself a friend of the world is to make yourself an enemy of God. It's you committing adultery. It's you breaking the vow that you have made to your husband, Jesus. 
Or it says in verse 5, do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? God imparts unto us the paraclete, the helper, the one who comes alongside, the helpmeet, comes inside of us. That is the Spirit of God. He dwells inside of us. It, it says that we become the temple of the living God, and we have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us. And that Spirit that lives in us is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And He dwells in us. He yearns jealously for the things of God. Now, don't, when you read that word jealously here, don't think of it as in jealously as you and I would be jealous of something or someone. Because our jealousy is tainted with the worldly wisdom. It's, well, I'm not getting what I want, so I'm jealous because that person is. And, and so that when we take on jealousy, we take it on in the worldly wisdom. God's jealousy for us is not... Let me say it this way. I wrote it down. God is not jealous about you. God is jealous for you. He wants that intimate relationship with us. He desires His bride, just like a, a good marriage would be. He, he, he longs for us. He desires intimacy with us. And when we adulterate ourselves with the things of this world, we're separating ourselves from that intimacy. Ever read the book of Hosea? Interesting story if you haven't. One of the minor prophets seated in the back of the Old Testament. If you start the year in a Bible thing, you know, you start with Genesis 1-1 and you start reading and usually by February you're worn out because I don't, nobody likes the book of Numbers, right? And just you're like, all right, forget it. So nobody ever gets to Hosea if you're reading in the Bible in a year, unless you're really diligent and super and if you are, then I'm up here and teach, but um, <laughs> you know, the book of Hosea is a minor prophet. Hosea was a prophet that God spoke to his heart and said, go marry a prostitute because I want the people of Israel to see how they're treating me. It's like being married to a prostitute. And so Hosea does, and, and it's just, there you go. Now you can go read it. It's, it's an interesting story. I want, I want Israel to see, I want the Jewish nation to see, you know, I called them out of the world. I separated them for unto myself. I established them as a nation. I knocked out their enemies before them. I provided all that they need. I even met their need in the desert. Their shoes never wore out. And now, years later, they're whoring on me. We don't want to hear those words if we're married ever, do we? Imagine the pain. Imagine the suffering. Revelation chapter 18. This, the, the theme just continues throughout the Word of God. Revelation chapter 18, verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. Even in the book of Revelation, Jesus' desire is that His bride would be unto His own. Unto Him. So I pray right now that this is resting heavy on all of our hearts, that we recognize that when we submit ourselves to the earthly wisdom, those things that are earthly and sensual and demonic, and we all do it, we all fall back into that, that we are committing adultery 
against the one who died to save our souls. And that's what makes the next verse so beautiful. Look at it. Verse 6. He gives more grace. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve, right? Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. And even though I've adulterated myself by aligning my heart with the wisdom of this world, He gives more grace. No matter how deep the sin, no matter how many times I've faltered, no matter how many times I've chased after the shiny things of this world, His grace is deeper. No matter how high the pile of sin I've made, the mountain of grace is higher. It covers a multitude of sin. I can't outsin His grace. Well then, well, shouldn't we just go have fun? Let's party, live it up. Eat, eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we die, Solomon would say. Now Paul says, should I go on sinning that grace may abound? No, 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 no. But every time I do falter and break my vow to God, His grace is sufficient and covers His grace goes deeper still. still. Verse 20 of Romans chapter 5. The law entered that the offense might abound. God gave us the law, and we talked about this as we went through Romans. God gave us the law so that we could see our desperate need for a Savior because we don't measure up to the law. When you compare your life to the Ten Commandments, you go over. You don't get one of them. And if you think you do, you're lying and you broke that one and so it doesn't matter. The law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty. I don't have to earn my way to heaven. I can't earn my way to heaven. My sin separates me eternally from His presence. Yet grace bridges the gap. The law helps us see our need of a Savior. No matter how high the sin is mounted, grace covers us. And that is glorious. How do we respond? If we have a proper understanding that we are vow breakers, yet His grace abounds all the more, what do we do? How do we live? What do we say? What do we, how do we live our lives? James, help us out. He does. Our proper response to this grace. Verse 7. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So three things. He asks us to do first submit to God, resist the devil, and he will, or sorry, submit to God, 
The first thing that we do is we submit once again our hearts to God. We align ourselves with the wisdom that is from above. We say, God, you have the ultimate authority in my life. I'm no longer living for myself. I know that just a minute ago I was, and probably tomorrow I will be again. But in this moment, I vow that I'm going to submit my life to you uh, uh, again with the authority. But like in a godly marriage, as a wife submits to a husband, so too with us, the church, submitting to the ways of God. So we submit to God and resist the devil, it says, and he will flee for you. That's all still part of number one. We need to recognize that we have an adversary. We have a foe. We have somebody who Jesus would say is coming to steal, kill, and destroy in John chapter 10. The sole motivation is to pull us away from his promise, to distract us from his mission. But we are to resist the devil. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able but with the temptation will always make, will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Temptation arises in our life. It gives us an opportunity to choose. Are we going to submit ourselves to God or are we going to chase after that thing that is tempting us? But know that God doesn't allow us to come to that fork in a road without ever making an escape plan. There is always a way of escape. And the way of escape is by resistance. Resistance is not passive. Resistance is active. This is wartime language. We are to resist the devil. We are to stand firm against him. I have a degree in electronics that I've never, almost never used. Went to college for it. Graduated with a 397. Did all right in electronics. Just never used it. We're up here preaching. So now the only chance I get to use my education is to give you sermon illustrations. So in the world of electronics, there's this device, an instrument called a resistor. If you pull out a printed circuit board, the things that everything runs on, there are different devices that do different things. There's diodes and capacitors and um, transformers and things like that, but there's this instrument called a resistor. And what it does is it resists the signal flow so that it can be brought down to a proper size or usage, wattage, power. And so they're just these little tiny things. they got two little legs on them with a brown coil. They've got different sized ones. They make big ones if you want to find a big one. But the idea is that it, 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 it um, limits the flow. We are to resist the devil, to stand against his ways. It's only in us resisting that temptation. It's only in us resisting the devil that we see the fact that Satan is a defeated foe. When we give ourselves to that temptation, we're never going to remember that Satan is already defeated. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Jesus has already paid it all. It's already won. The battle's already done. The Satan's already defeated. But it's not until we stand and resist against him that we'll ever remember that he's a defeated foe. So submit to God, resist the devil. Second, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. 
Draw near to God. Get intimate with God. Isn't that the picture of a marriage anyway? The marriage bed is to be undefiled. We're supposed to save intimacy until the, the wedding night because it's, that way it's not a broken intimacy and God desires that intimacy with us. And He says, draw near to me. Pull yourself unto me. Live next to me. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. If you say today, if you're, if you're at a place where you're ready to say, God, I want more of you, God's never going to say no. Now, you know, I, you're cute and all, but I just don't like you. You're never going to pull that. I'll call you tomorrow. And it's never going to happen that way. You say, God, I want more of you. Here it is. Why? Because you're not asking with the wrong motives. You're not asking amiss. God, I want more. I'm submitted to your authority. I'm resisting the devil. I want more of you. That's aligning with God's wisdom. Third, cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. <laughs> James, once again, I just love how strong he is. Cleanse your hearts, you sinners. <laughs> but that's the weight we want to bear through this chapter. Yeah, I am a sinner. I am in need of a Savior. I am an adulterer. I have broken my vow with God. So cleanse your hands. Meaning it's time to set away those things. Set apart those things. Set aside those things. There we go. It's time to set aside those things which pull our hearts away from God. And I don't have to tell you what that is. You know what that is in your life. You, you're thinking of it now, that thing that's a, when I go home and I start to do this, it's pulling my heart away from God. It's cleanse your hand, sinner. Set it aside. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. We can't have the, 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 the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God. To, to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. There is no middle ground. Right? We made that, that C.S. Lewis quote. Every, every square inch, every, sec, every partial second is, is possessed and owned by God. There is no neutral ground in God. Every second, every square inch is, is owned by God, or claimed by God, that's what it was, and counterclaimed by Satan. There is no middle ground. You can't have both worlds. If you say that I'm going to live with a foot in this world, you've devoted yourself as an enemy of God. So purify your hearts. You can't be double-minded. In other words, take care of the internal things, not just the external. We have to do both external, ex cleansing of our hands, and the internal, purifying of our hearts. It can't just be one or the other, or we would be whitewashed tombs, as Jesus would call us, if we cleansed the outside but didn't take care of the heart. Or we would be hiding our light under a basket if we took care of the heart but didn't live wholly unto Him. Jesus speaks against both. So we cleanse our hearts, or we cleanse our hands, we purify our hearts. Verse 9, he doesn't let up. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. I came to hear a good message this morning. I just want to leave happy. Sorry. 
Well, think of it this way. What happens if you went out and committed adultery on your wife? And you came into my office knowing that you had done wrong, knowing that you had broken your vow, and you tell me, hey, Pastor Chris, I'm sorry, I, I, I blew it. It was a moment of weakness, and it was a, the temptation was there. I didn't resist, and I blew it. The thing I would tell you is you have to tell your wife. There's no hiding this for the rest of your life. The very first thing I would say to you is you have to tell your spouse. Imagine heartache you would you would have knowing that you had to go to the one that you made your vow to and say i broke my vow imagine how much pain and sorrow it would cause you to have to say that to your spouse we've broken our vow to god we are adulterers and adulteresses so it should break our hearts that we go to God and say, I'm sorry. It should be that we mourn and weep over our sin. When is the last time your sin made you cry? Because you broke God's heart. If you're convicted of adultery, the proper response is to weep and to mourn. And then finishing it up, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Recognizing that we have broken our vow, the proper response is to humble ourselves. To get low. That's what humble means. Just to, to get down and to get low. Jesus was teaching and a group of guys brought a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Probably dragged her by her hair naked into the town square there and said, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. What does Jesus do? He looks at everybody. He wants, they're, they're testing Jesus. In accordance with the law, we should stone Him. That's what the law would say to stone her. That's what the law would say to do. What are you going to do, Jesus? Jesus looks at all of them. He says, He who is without sin cast the first stone. On this woman who had committed adultery, he who is without sin cast the first stone. He bends down, starts to write something in the dust. I can't wait to find out what that was. I've got some ideas. Nobody knows for sure. And one by one, it says, from the oldest to the youngest, they leave. They recognize that no one is without sin. They drop their rocks and they walk away. And eventually, it's just Jesus and this woman, probably covered in snot and dirt and her hair a mess and torn clothes or naked entirely. Jesus gets face to face with her lifts her chin. Where are your accusers? They've all left. 
neither do I convict you. Go and sin no more. Grace abounds all the more. Humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. He tells another story of the wheat and the tares. Terrible. And it was interesting as I was studying this, it's about how the wheat and the tares grow up together and, and the, they're wondering if they should pull the weed. A tear is a, a weed. And they're wondering if they should pull these weeds out so that the wheat could have proper growing space and whatever. And the, the, the farmer says, no, don't t- tear them out. But just a little interesting note about wheats, wheat and tares. Check it out on Google. If you look at a picture of a tear, it looks exactly like wheat. You cannot physically tell the difference between the two. There are, there are virtually identical, a wheat and a tear. The way that you know the difference is you have to wait until harvest time. You have to wait until there is fruit in the, gra- in the, in the grain. Wheat, when its fruit has grown, bows itself down. A tear does not. It just stands erect. Humble ourselves in the sight of He will lift us up. We bow our hearts. We bow our lives. We bow our fruit before Him. Say, Lord, I'm broken. I'm an adulterer. I'm an adulteress. I'm like that woman dragged into the city square. I have submitted myself to the ways of this world far too many times. And cleanse our hearts. Cleanse our hands. Purify our hearts. Recognize that His grace is enough. Rise because He lifts us up and live submitted to His authority. Honor your vow. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's close in prayer. You are the name above all names, God, because even as we have committed to follow after You, Father, we break that vow. Your grace is enough. Jesus, You defeated our sin. You resurrected to life. You have washed us. You have purified us. We stand before You just redeemed restored, reconciled, married to You. Thank You that You count us the bride. And for the heart in here who would say, Lord, I want more of You, I pray that You would receive that request, Lord, and we know that You will not turn away a heart that wants more of You. So if that's You in this place, just cry out to Him in your heart to say, Lord, I'm sick of the ways of this world. They leave me wanting. They leave me with a bad taste in my mouth. Turn your heart to God and say, I want more. And He's a a God, a Father that will not give us a stone when we ask for a piece of bread. will not give us a scorpion when we ask for a piece of fish. He is a good God. So Lord, may we rise from the ashes May we rise from our place of brokenness in Your grace.